Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 152, and today's guest is Chris Mead, co-CEO and co-founder of Sports Recruits. It takes courage to be able to take a risk and leave a career to pursue something that is your passion. Although it might be hard at times, they say that if you do what you love, you will never work a day in your life. Well, Chris is a perfect example of this scenario. He developed a passion for lacrosse that carried over into his college career playing at Wesleyan University. After working in an industry that didn't inspire him, Chris and his co-founder and teammate Matt Wheeler took a risk to start a company around their passion for lacrosse. They recognized an opportunity to help student-athletes and parents with the recruitment process. Thus, Sports Recruits, or what was originally known as Lacrosse Recruits, was born. Sports Recruits, based in Brooklyn, is a platform that helps high school athletes market themselves to college coaches across the country. Think of it like a LinkedIn for college recruitment, where the student athletes and parents have the tools and communication capabilities to assist with the recruitment process. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the current state of lacrosse as a growing sport and how the Premier Lacrosse League is getting traction as a professional league, Chris's background and the story of how he left a steady job in real estate to pursue his passion, the early days of the company and how their scrappiness built a solid foundation for their business over the years, the evolution of their business to where it is today, advice on the recruitment process for high school athletes, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that every Monday morning, we send out two weekly digest emails? There's one for Boston and one for New York. It is your weekly email to stay connected to all the must-know information from each local tech team. It includes information on companies, jobs, events, deals, and more. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash email and look for the weekly tech buzz to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Chris. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Well, I'm happy to be here. So, Chris, we got a lot to talk about, about uh, your company and what you guys have been building with sports recruits and how the whole landscape of, you know, recruiting athletes has changed so drastically, especially from, you know, when I was in, in high school. But, uh, but before we get into that, I, um, I played, uh, I, you know, so growing up, so I'm, I'm 47 years old and I grew up in New Hampshire. There wasn't a lot of lacrosse going on in New Hampshire back then and, you know, 1986 to 1990. Uh, so I ended up going to a Division three college that was called Nichols College out in, uh, near Worcester, Massachusetts. And it was me and a bunch of like football and hockey guys showing up on campus. And there's this game called lacrosse where you can actually use a stick and whack people with. So we all kind of like came together and formed a, a team. So they had a team on campus and it just ended up being a bunch of people that played different sports. So, um, you know, as a former lacrosse player, I've been fascinated to see how over the years uh, there hasn't been a real professional league that has taken off yet this past year, there was the premier lacrosse league, which seems like there's something there. There was a lot of excitement. So anyways, you played lacrosse in high school. We're going to talk about that, but um, in college, of course, but talk about the professional ranks of lacrosse these days and how that's evolved. Yeah, so I I think it's one of those things that is ever evolving, and and the sport has you know a pretty wide uh, geographic footprint at this point. Um, you know, spread from Northeast Mid Atlantic, you know, out to the West Coast. More and more players are you know from non traditional hotbed areas. So I think there's a lot of excitement about the growth of the game, and you know, over the last decade or so, it's been the fastest growing youth sport. So. There's a lot of excitement about what the future potential at the professional ranks is is going to be, and I think 
if you kind of model it after, you know, some of the things that we've seen with MLS soccer, for example, and how franchise prices have kind of risen through the roofs and uh, game attendance has been really strong, you know, there's a lot to kind of model after, you know, those successes. So with the launch of the PLL this past season, um, you know, it was a kind of experimental or, um, you know, new way to look at the game. And it's a very, very high quality, you know, Paul Rabel and those guys have done a tremendous job marketing the league. So it's something to be really excited about. And it seemed like they took a very different, like you said, experimental approach where they went city by city with the teams. It wasn't like you traveled and you you just had one home base. So if you're in Philly or Boston or New York and you had your own team, they went and took this almost like a tournament approach city by city, which drew a lot of attendance. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I, I think what a lot of people, you know, aren't really aware of, especially in the lacrosse world is just how small lacrosse still is. Um, and if you look at youth participation between the ages of like six and 12, and these are, you know, rough numbers, uh, you know, there's 280,000 youth lacrosse players in that age group. There's about 2.3 million soccer players, about 4 million baseball players. Wow. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're talking like eight, nine times the size, you know, almost 13 times the size. And um, I read an article recently that quoted the uh, MLB commissioner, like that their biggest challenge with creating future baseball fans is getting people to play the sport when they're little. Mm-hmm. And MLB has invested a lot in the growth at the youth, youth um, level. So, you know, three, four, 5% growth year over year on a, on a big number. But if you look at that um, and you think about like the compounding nature of that over time in a, in a, viewer base or a fan base you know lacrosse has a long way to go to get to significant numbers so you just have to be a little bit more creative with how you're going to consolidate fans in certain areas and i think you know the pll has done that with this like tour based um format and it's something that yeah maybe down the road when you know two times, three times, four times the amount of people are playing youth lacrosse and there's more of a fan base, maybe it can change. But for right now, it seems to make sense as, you know, the most logical way to, you know, grow the game and have it be a sustainable professional league. Well, let's talk about your background. So, you know, let's rewind the clock. I'm always interested in the kind of the foundational story. So uh, where did you grow up? You know, what was you, what were you like as a kid? Sure. So, I grew up on Fire Island, which is a small resort island off the south shore of Long Island. So uh, there's about 300 year-round residents. Um, My parents and my grandfather both had small businesses on the island. And uh, yeah, there's about 300 of us that live out there year-round. And then, you know, during the summer, it swells to, you know, 20,000 plus when people from New York City um, come and they have their summer houses out there. So I was a local on the island and uh, it made for a pretty unique um, experience growing up. Um, And then, you know, segueing that into kind of what I was like as a kid, it's interesting because I've actually never had to answer that question because I'm sure, you know, my parents would probably have different answers than I might. But um, yeah, I'd say it was probably 
a pretty easygoing kid, uh, played a lot of sports, um, you know, did well in school, kind of that standard stuff. The, the joke on the island is um, as long as your parents keep you programmed and keep you doing a lot of things, um, you're going to stay out of trouble because there's nothing but trouble to get into on an island that's empty all winter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a lot of free time on your hands. So yeah, e- easygoing kid, again, like competitive, played a lot of sports. I grew up in family businesses. So um, that was always kind of a part of my TNA. And um, not until I actually had kids of my own, I've got a two and a half year old and a three month old, did I realize kind of how important um, the sports aspect was to kind of like my development growing up and how I've kind of like placed that importance now, even on my two and a half year old who's, you know, in little kicker soccer and we got him in early so he can run around and, you know, kick soccer balls and have no idea what's going on. But um, yeah, I think that's a good overview of what I was doing when I was growing up. So how'd you end up at Wesleyan? Yeah. So it was a a long story, but um, yeah, I was a three sport athlete. I actually really loved basketball. And I would say that um, if I could have been as good at basketball as I was at lacrosse, I would have probably been a college basketball player. But um, yeah, I graduated high school. I was about five, seven, 145 pounds. So that was not a uh, likely outcome. So, you know, starting off, I, I did pretty well in school. Um, I really loved lacrosse. If you asked me in ninth grade, I would have said I was going to go play lacrosse at Georgetown University, Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, a lot of kids division one dreams. And then, you know, fast forward as I was going through high school, I was at a recruiting camp and um, my high school coach had a connection to coach Yurik, who's the Georgetown coach at the time. So Mm -hmm. sitting there, I'm talking to coach Yurik at this round table. And he just kind of looks me straight in the face and he's like, Chris, you should play division three lacrosse. <laughs> and I was like, it's like, okay, right. well, if this, if this guy's telling me this, then, uh, you know, that's probably the direction that I should go. And then, you know, from there, like it was probably the, the best thing that anybody could have told me yeah. because it was honest feedback. Um, I got to recalibrate. So then it was like, okay, well, what sort of academic schools could I you know, go to, could I be interested in that might be a similar caliber to a, to a Georgetown and where I could go play lacrosse and actually go play, you know, for four years. So that led me down the uh, direction of, you know, okay, what are division three options? What are strong schools? Um, You know, growing up on the South Shore of Long Island, my parents didn't go to college. So we had pretty much no idea, but um, my high school coach, you know, was like, Hey, he, here's a couple of schools that I think you should look at. And he, um, he actually told me to send some game tape to uh, Coach Silcott at Wesleyan University, which he mixed up the names. And Coach Silcott was actually the head coach at Trinity College. So I sent my tape off to uh, Coach Silcott at Wesleyan University. Three days later, Coach Reba calls me and is like, hey, uh, Chris, I think you sent this tape to the wrong school. But I'd love you to come up next weekend for a visit. And that, uh, that yeah, now that was how it all worked. <laughs> the MESCAC. So, yeah. so uh, which school was, was the fierce rival of Wesleyan at, throughout the MESCAC? Yeah. So 
So Wesleyan has a, a deal with, it's called the Little Three. So um, Amherst, Williams, Wesleyan kind of make up this or, original group of uh, schools that played each other, you know, for whatever it is, 150 years or, or something yeah. like that. So before we got there, um, Williams and Amherst were kind of powerhouses in the league. Um, we had never won Little Three championships in my four years there. Uh, we won three we tied once. So that was probably the best that had ever happened um, in the history of the men's lacrosse program. But the big rivalry, and it wasn't much of a rivalry to them, was Middlebury, who, when I was in college, they had phenomenal Division three lacrosse teams, won a national championship, were in the finals a couple of years. And, uh, you know, my, my senior year of college, we lost to them in the regular season, in the NESCAC finals, and then, then in the NCAA quarterfinals. So, uh, yeah. So, and, and, and it's funny, like we, we actually had a really good relationship with a lot of those guys on that team after college played a lot of lacrosse with them. But so I would say that was a rivalry, but they definitely didn't think the same of us. All right. So you graduate from college and you end up at Cushman and Wakefield. So, so what did you do there and, and what, what did that job teach you? Yeah. So the background was uh, my dad had a small real estate uh, brokerage on Fire Island. So I grew up around the real estate business and going into my senior year of college, I had actually had a, uh, a job offer at a, um, at a hedge fund. And I was probably not actually qualified to have a job at a hedge fund as a analyst or an associate. Uh, and in March, there were a bunch of connections, lacrosse connections, family connections. So, so it's uh, March, my senior year, and I get a phone call from my uncle. And he's like, um, the uh, firm where you're supposed to start working in June is being investigated by the SEC. Oh. And they aren't bringing in anybody in their incoming class. So at that point, I was in you know senior lacrosse season. I was like, well, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this until after I graduate. So went back home, you know, worked in the family business that uh, summer, made some connections at um, Cushman and, you know, ended up there at a training program is real estate. It, it just kind of checked a lot of the boxes and it was an exciting time to be doing real estate in New York, you know, 05, 06, 07, you know, the economy was booming, real estate prices were crazy in the city. So I got to see a lot of fun stuff. So there's, what's the transition story then? So then eventually you ended up starting your own company and you and your co-founder. Yeah. So you're yeah. in this job and then all of a sudden, like, let's go start a company. So, so how did that all yeah. come? So, yeah, I guess that, that was the thing that I learned at Cushman Wakefield was I was probably 12 months in and I realized that this is not what I wanted to be doing for the next 10 years of my life. Um, and the story that I tell is, you know, I'm 12 months in, I'm going to a meeting with a senior partner on the brokerage team and we're walking down Madison Avenue and uh, he points out this building and he's like, okay, well, this building's owned by so-and-so who's built this year. Here are the major tenants. This is when their leases roll. Then he's like, okay, that building does the same thing. And, you know, we walk three or four blocks on Madison Avenue and he just knows all of these buildings. Um, and he really, really cared. And it kind of like set off the cycle of, okay, well, what things do I really care about? 
and what things could I be that excited about in my life? And, and at that time, you know, it's, it's a tough thing because you're trying to figure it out. You're 23 years old. So you spend your entire life playing sports. You've always been a part of a team. Uh, now all of a sudden you're off in the real world. You're in a work environment where like you might be part of a team, but it's a different unit than you've probably been used to. You have a much different role and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what, what are the things that, you know, are going to make you happy or keep you motivated. So at that point, I realized that I didn't want to be a commercial real estate broker. I didn't want to be doing, you know, capital markets work, you know, commercial real estate finance. But my plan was actually to go back to business school. And I applied to a bunch of business schools that also had masters in urban planning degrees. And I had this like plan that I was going to stay in the real estate world, but I was going to, you know, do mixed use development, work for a city, do something where I could help, you know, some of the, you know, cost of living challenges and just kind of take a different um, approach versus the like New York city commercial real estate game. Um, so I would say that there was like a level of empathy um, or um, like emotional connection that I was probably missing from that experience at Cushman and Wakefield that I thought that I was going to get by going down this path and going back to business school, getting a master's in urban planning, you know, continuing down this path. And then I had a winter before I was supposed to start business school and I got roped back into coaching. And I started working with families and, uh, you know, answering questions and you know, a lot of the same questions that families had were the same, you know, questions that my family had in 99 and 2000. And, you know, now it was eight years later or yeah, seven, eight years later. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that was really the, uh, transition and it was a lot of, you know, question marks of, you know, what do I want to be doing? Um, and, you know, I, I had a, a mentor who was like, Chris, you just need to have it figured out by the time you're 30. Like, just know what you want to be doing by the time you're 30. He's like, this, you know, 23, 24, 25, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. in the, you know, long term of your career success and, you know, what's going to make you happy in life. And that was really great um, advice to get at that point because, yeah, I moved out to Salt Lake City. I lived in a studio apartment that was 350 bucks a month. I skied 50 plus days that winter. I worked on a business plan for lacrosse recruits. It was, you know, that could have been the best winter of my entire life. Um, you know, not to take away from my two and a half month old and three or two and a half year old and three month old at home. But that's such great advice. Cause you could have gone to B school and in a completely different type of professional world right now. Uh, so it's amazing just how advice can totally transform somebody and, you know, you're doing something completely different, but more tied to what you actually love. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and I also think, you know, there's some like situational stuff where my parents were really supportive. Um, and you know, that's not always the case. And and some of the things that might've made certain parts of life a little bit more challenging. So okay, my parents didn't go to college. So that, that was like this kind of like pushing the boulder up the hill 
they were very supportive, but you know, there was a lot of challenges in figuring it out. You know, when all the other kids are, you know, getting SAT tutors and you know, we're kind of lost, but then, you know, there's other times in life where, you know, they were really supportive of that. And I would go back and I'd say, you know, that's probably some of the most influential support that I've gotten mm-hmm. to say, Hey, Chris, like, go move out West, go move to Salt Lake city, figure it out, figure out what's going to make you happy. And, um, yeah, that's stuff looking back now. I'm like, you know, that changed my life. So how about like, so your co-founder, Matt Wheeler. So the two of you went, played lacrosse together at Wesleyan, but so, so at what point were you like, Hey, I think there's an opportunity here. Let's start to form a company. Like, how'd you get, get it going? Yeah. So, you know, we met freshman year of college. Uh, we ended up being captains of the lacrosse team together. We lived together for three years and, you know, in college, we're officers of the fraternity together. We did a, a lot of stuff together. And, you know, the, the story that I always tell about Matt was um, when he was treasurer of our fraternity, we had 100% collections of dues at our fraternity. And that has never happened. <laughs> uh, and it was something that, you know, I wasn't necessarily like capable of doing either and you know i've got so many examples of that that even you know being captains of the lacrosse team and you know doing fundraisers and you know doing all these you know things in college that there's a lot that kind of like we worked very well together and then both took um jobs in new york and you know spent a lot of time together in new york in those uh two years after college so he was also, he did two years at Guy Carpenter, which is a reinsurance company. And I knew he was also planning on taking the GMATs. Um, so he was planning on going back to business school. Uh, his dad had done some venture investing. So, you know, Matt kind of indirectly knew what that world was and was around people who are starting companies and, you know, startup ideas. So it was kind of a clear cut hey, he's in a similar situation to I, to what I am in. Um, we have this history now of, you know, six, seven years. And I think if there's somebody that I was going to start a business with, like, this makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. So I was actually coaching uh, Team Utah at a random event uh, in Nashua, New Hampshire. I'm talking about being a New Hampshire uh, mm-hmm. native. Yep. Um, and that night, that Sunday night on the plane back out to Salt Lake City, I wrote him a 10-page email outlining the business ideas around lacrosse recruits. Mm. And like, I've been around this. I've been talking to all these families. I've been talking to college coaches. Like, I think there's a real business here. You know, and, and that was um, 2008. I, I landed in Salt Lake City. I sent him that email before I went to bed. And I woke up the next morning and uh, he replied and said he was in. And, you know, that, that was that. So how did you get started? Like, I mean, so here you are, like, you know, you've been doing different professional careers. You didn't start a tech company before. So you're diving into what is, a, you know, a marketplace where you got to have, you know, recruits coming in. You got to have coaches that are looking at the recruits. And you have technology, like a website. So yeah. this is, what year was this? So this is 2008. So yeah. yeah so, this, and, so it wasn't like you just upload video like you do now. <laughs> like yeah, technical but, issues of loading yeah. video is insane. So, I mean, all of those things were 
infinitely more challenging than it is right now. So we started the company in the beginning of the recession. So economic downturn, right? Crisis. So economy is terrible. So it's not like people are just throwing angel investment checks around. Um, there's no real resources like there are today where you can just use the internet and you can find term sheets and you can find product management best practices. Like none of that stuff existed. So we put together a 30 page business plan that we started shopping around to like our smartest buddies, random connections who like had been involved in the technology world. And we went out and we raised a hundred thousand dollars from friends and family. Um, you know, Matt and I put in 25 together, we raised 75 and it cost us 40 grand or so to build the first version of lacrosse recruits, which was just pretty much player profiles. Every college coach has a profile. You could upload video, you could send messages, and you can have a profile. Um, you know, and the, the crazy thing is like, you know, this is a point in time when the only like media on your Facebook profile was a picture. You know, like Twitter, Twitter at that point was predominantly text message notifications. It was just a completely different world. So um, we ended up using a development firm in Salt Lake City, built the website for, you know, 40 grand. We had 60 grand in the bank and launched uh, the website in July. And I think we made six grand through the end of that year. We were like, hold on. People aren't going to just come to this website and sign up. Launch. We're here. We're open for business. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Like our uh, acquisition strategy was I was friending as many people on Facebook and then hopefully getting them to, you know, come to the website when I was sending them messages to, Mm -hmm. to sign up. Um, So yeah, that was, that was the back end of 2008. And, you know, we joke and we say, you know, those are, the uh, the darkest days of uh, the sports recruits uh, story. We we're, you know, 25, 26 years old, living in Matt's parents' house up in Darien in the suburbs. You know, all of our friends are in the city working, <laughs> traveling. You know, I was waiting tables at night. Um, it got to a point that winter where it got so cold in the basement, we had to retreat to our bedrooms upstairs. And we we worked in two separate bedrooms on the second floor. It was like, yelling at each other down the hallway. Um, But yeah, and then, you know, fast forward, we just talked to so many potential customers and we were out, we were in the space, we were going to tournaments. You know, we were handing out flyers for lacrosse recruits at tournaments. And what happened was, you know, we wasted so much time, but the stuff that was really valuable, if there was a college coach in a parking lot, I was going up and talking to a college coach. How do you do your recruiting? How could we help? How can technology help make this more efficient? Families, oh, what's the struggle? Oh, you don't have game film? Oh, well, why doesn't anyone film at this tournament? Oh, nobody's ever done that before. Okay, well, maybe we should start setting up videographers at these events. Oh, there's no way for you to actually have a highlight reel created because there's like three guys who make highlight reels. You know, one's in Baltimore, one's in on Long Island, and one might be in Boston. Like. 
it was just a totally different um, time. But we had a lot of those conversations. And what we stumbled upon was we could partner with events, recruiting events, tournaments, showcases, camps, and offer film, offer our lacrosse recruits memberships. And it was an efficient acquisition model. So in 2009, thank you, Chris Hutchins. Thank you, uh, Ashley Gersick. These are these people that, you know, I was like, this is the idea. Like, let us do it. And they were like, you know, are you going to have a business in three years? And we were like, yeah, we're not going anywhere. And, you know, a lot of people took bets on us, which, you know, we're forever grateful for that. But um, yeah, 2009, we probably did about 10 events. Fast forward that through 2012, we were doing 60 plus events, you know, team of 200 plus videographers, doing over a thousand highlight reels a year. Uh, and we built this business around lacrosse that was profitable, that worked really well in lacrosse. And um, yeah, that, that was really the early days. So, so how did it work? So, so if, if I had a child playing in a lacrosse tournament, you guys would take the whole video of the tournament and then carve out my child's segments to make a highlight reel? Yeah, exactly. And wow. it's, it's crazy. Like some of that stuff still happens today. But yeah, we were really the first ones doing that in, in 2009. And it was crazy because, you know, there's a culture around game film with football. Um, and that didn't really exist in other sports because the recruiting was happening um, at all of these events. And we were like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm in Nashville, Nashville, New Hampshire with my team Utah and my kids have a great game and the Springfield coach is the only person watching this game, well, this was pretty much worthless to those you know, 22 families. Yeah. So we helped kind of put those those things together and um yeah it was it was as simple as family is going to pay 300 bucks to be at this recruiting event for the weekend um they're going to play five games we're going to sell film to them for 150 bucks another 100 bucks they're going to get a highlight reel another 50 bucks they're going to get a lacrosse recruits membership so for 300 bucks we our value prop was that we were going to extend the value of your family flying across the country or driving seven hours to this recruiting event throughout the rest of the year. So you can continue to leverage this. So when your kid is in love with Georgetown and Georgetown says it's not going to work out, not everything's lost. You still have this video. You still have this highlight reel. So you can then send it to Wesley and send it to Haverford or, you know, whatever other school. Okay. So like any tough thing with a marketplace is the chicken and the egg. So, you know, you needed players. So it sounds like you did a good job of figuring out like, okay, how are we going to get players onto our platform? But then how did you get the coaches to start to buy in that? Like, wait, I can actually go to sports recruits and, you know, find players that I might want to recruit for my team. Well, I think the important thing to understand about the coaches is, you know, they're professional evaluators and it's their job to recruit kids to their school. So they're looking for tools that are going to make them more efficient. And that's really what we were. So we didn't try this. They didn't have anything. There was like, no, no. So, you know, they were going and doing onsite evaluation and that still happens today. You know, most schools are going to want to watch somebody that they're going to get onto their roster two or three times in person. 
But what we were trying to do is provide the bait to those coaches to say, hey, it's going to be worth your time to go to St. Paul's school in Maryland on this weekend to watch me play because I have the grades. Here's my highlight reel. I can play at Wesleyan. Therefore, you should come and watch me play. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely chicken and egg, but it solved a problem for college coaches. It allowed them to evaluate players in a more efficient manner, and it didn't really change their workflow that much because they were still fielding emails from players, but now all of a sudden they're like, I want that email when the kid includes his lacrosse recruits link because that is so much more powerful for me because I have their grades, their video, and all their contact information. I don't have to go searching for all that stuff. I don't have to make a note and say like, oh, is Chris Mead a potential fit? Like, I know he's going to be a potential fit in three minutes. Right. Okay. Now, originally you had different URLs for, you know, the different sports that you were covering. So it was lacrosse recruits, volleyball recruits, field hockey recruits, and probably some others. So, you know, how did you go out building the business with these different sports that you were trying to, you know, build a marketplace, each individual URL to then decide yep. to you know, bring it all under sportsrecruits.com? Yeah. So all along we thought that we'd build, um, individual communities around specific sports and it made sense after what we were able to build around lacrosse so the second sport we went into was volleyball so we launched volleyball recruits and we really kind of got our butt kicked so the same um, recruiting process that happens in lacrosse does not happen in volleyball Mm. volleyball is really run by clubs the recruiting process Club directors do most of the communication with the college coaches. They're doing the matchmaking. Um, all of the tournaments, there's you know maybe 10 big tournaments throughout the year. So regional qualifiers, some national tournaments. So you don't have this like family paying 300 bucks to go to some random tournament or camp to get recruited by specific schools. It's way more consolidated. And in a lot of ways, more efficient for the clubs but there's still a bunch of inefficiencies in in the process but anyway it was very different than what we were dealing with with lacrosse and that was actually our introduction to how powerful club was in the recruiting process and really set in motion kind of our b2b transition a couple years later um but yeah, so we thought that we would have these individual communities and we did that for a, a bunch of years and, and it worked well. And then you just get to a certain scale that trying to maintain marketing, um, you know, yeah, emails, media, support for, yeah. right. Yeah. So we, we ended up consolidating down um, to just the sports recruits brand in 2017. And, you know, we were really worried when we were doing that. Oh, are we going to you know, lose our volleyball customers? Are we going to lose our lacrosse? And, you know, or things like SEO, SEO value that you've probably built over time. Right, right. So, um, yeah, you know, we we took the leap and, you know, it's been a good two year run since we've done that. So what's the current size of your business, like the scale and employees or whatever you can share? Yeah. So we're a team of 41 here in downtown Brooklyn. um, And we, have 
yeah, gone from two of us in the basement, but really kind of our, you know, growth story started in 2015. So we had that B2C, you know, connecting families and college coaches. And then that evolved into a recruiting management platform that we started selling into the clubs. So talking about the volleyball experience, pretty much we, we said that recruiting was going to follow the volleyball and soccer model. And, you know, you've seen that in other sports like field hockey now. Um, lacrosse is way more club dominated. So we started building software tools for these club directors to manage the recruiting for everybody at their club. Um, and from we launched that product at the beginning of 2015. And really, we went from, you know, eight to 35 in two years. And, you know, kind of fast forward to today, we have you know, a thousand plus club organizations, you know, paying us for our software, 200,000 student athletes. It's, it's turned into a very nice, stable growing business um, that, you know, we're really excited about and we get to interact with, um, you know, people who kind of obviously really care about recruiting and really care about youth sports, but also have a vested interest in growing their business and, you know, kind of making the sport more professional than, you know, what it was when we, when we started 10 years ago. So what, like, what's the goal? Like you and Matt, let's set out to start a company and obviously you've done a great job of figuring out the business model and building a sustainable business, but like, what's the, what's the end goal? Like how, how do you define success? Yeah. So it, look, it, it changes throughout the course of, of the business. So, you know, early on when we were selling B2C to lacrosse families, it was like, oh my goodness, if we can do this for every sport and replicate this, we're going to just make so much money. And this is going to work. This is going to solve the recruiting problem for every sport. And then you're like, okay, well, it doesn't actually work for volleyball. So then you fast forward and you do the B2B thing. And, you know, and now all of a sudden you're a, you know, high-flying B2B SaaS company because you go from, you know, zero to 2 million ARR in 24 months. And it's like, oh, we're on a rocket ship. Well, you know, now we're kind of in our third phase where, you know, that B2B is growing. We still have the B2C revenue. And now we're looking at it as like, actually, how can we open up the platform more so every kid can be on sports recruits? Mm -hmm. So it's not just that, lacrosse family who can pay us hundreds of dollars. It's not just that family who can afford to pay $3,000 to be on a competitive club, mm -hmm. but how can our product be so good that anybody can sign up for sports recruits and get recruited and say, holy mackerel, I had all my stuff on sports recruits and it was really valuable and I got recruited. And I think like that's, that's where we're going. So Obviously, you know, there's financial aspects of that, of, you know, how we're growing revenue, how we're able to invest in growth and make the product better and offer new, you know, features or, you know, new functions. But at the end of the day, we're trying to get to a place where this is the go-to place to get recruited, that we're a trusted brand, that, you know, when... I'm at the gas station at my house on Long Island and I'm wearing a sports recruits, you know, sweater, somebody who, you know, stops me and is like, Oh, you know, my, my niece is on sports recruits. Like 
I want that to be anybody. I don't want that to necessarily have to be the person who, you know, isn't going on family vacations because they're spending, you know, six grand on, you know, travel sports. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good, good mission behind what you're doing to make it uh, accessible for all. Now, one of the things I thought was uh, really interesting is you haven't raised a tremendous amount of money to, to fuel your business. So, you know, you go on TechCrunch, it's like, we just raised $20 million yeah. and series or seed rounds are now like $5 million, right? So um, yeah. what I gathered, you raised that small round, but you've raised some incremental money, but not a tremendous yeah. amount. So this has been a lot of grit and figuring stuff out. Yeah. And, you know, just going back to us getting started you know, in 2008, 2009, like in the midst of the recession, like we had to be capital efficient early on. So we've raised $2 million in um, angel and seed um, funding. And we did that in 2012 and 2015. And, you know, at that, you know, those were kind of major milestones. So we um, brought all of our development in-house in 2012. We hired our CTO. Um, we were like, look, we're going to be a product company. We need this money to like make that transition from like Matt and I hustling to actually being a product company. Mm -hmm. And then in 2015, we brought money in as we were launching the B2B side of the business. And one of the challenges about being in the youth sports space is like, we can talk about, oh, you know, there's $15 billion of spending, but it's still a relatively small space um, versus, you know, I'm selling, you know, sales tech to every company that does sales. Oh, well, every company does sales. So right. that's a huge market. Um, we're living in a world where there's really 6 million high school athletes. Um, it's not a huge market. I mean, those families spend a lot of money around those athletes, but it's just a little bit different of a um, challenge. So for us, like we were capital efficient early, we've had to always generate cash and we've been able to run the business, giving ourselves optionality where um, I don't necessarily have to sell the company and have to sell a dream to everybody that, you know, I need to do a series A and I need to sell the company for $300 million. Like, we have a bunch of different options to um, go after our mission and fulfill our goals. And we don't necessarily have to do those things. And, um, you know, I think it's probably a little bit more in vogue right now following some of like the Jason Freed and Basecamp stuff of like, you know, I've lived my entire life on sports teams. Like if we have a, you know, I don't really want to manage more than 40 people that would be on a lacrosse team. Like we have our 40, like if we could double our business with 50 people, like I'd be pumped doing that. Right. Capital efficient. Very, very hard yeah. uh, and scale. Now I'm sure you get these questions all the time based on the company that you're, you're running. So uh, let's flip the topic here to how the world of youth sports and high school recruitment has changed. What advice when you get asked by parents, like, Oh, you know, what should I be doing to help, you know, further my child's career in terms of their desires to maybe play in college? Yeah. I mean, we, we get that question a lot and, and I'd say like, I generally recommend things, you know, off of, off of the field. So it's like, okay, well, what are you guys doing from a research perspective to figure out what the right fit is going to be? 
are you guys talking about what that means from a college experience? Is it financial? Do you guys need a scholarship? Do you need to go to a state school? Do you need to um, find a place where you're going to get a, a merit scholarship? And I think having those conversations, I think around the financial piece is really, really important because you know, the dirty secret about most sports is when you get a scholarship, you're going to get an eighth scholarship. You're going to get a quarter scholarship. And, you know, it's, you know, it's significant, not to say that, you know, ten fifteen thousand $15,000 isn't significant, but when college costs 65000 for a year, you know, it might not be as significant as you think. So I think just having those conversations um, of what you want, what's important in the college um, decision is, is really important. And then um, the other stuff I talk about is like, by the time you're 16 or 17, there's not much that you're going to be able to change um, athletically. But knowing that a college coach is evalu evaluating like the entire family and how you're presenting yourselves, interacting with the college, how you communicate, are you respectful, the questions that you're asking, to just be mindful of a college coach evaluating your entire family, not just what you're doing on on the field that's one thing um and then you know the last is always just like the academic piece um you know we have some legacy lacrosse events that you know we've been running for 10 years we do a showcase up at wesleyan university uh during the summer and i am the first person to say do not do not spend 250 dollars on us if you have not taken a kaplan sat course like you are better off not spending the $2,000 to go to some random event when you factor in travel and hotels and the showcase event, like take that money and spend it on an SAT or ACT tutor because that's going to give you more optionality than going to your seventh recruiting event of the summer. Right. So focus on your grades because that's going to open up the doors because if you don't have the grades, you're not going to get admitted. To right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the the world of um, recruiting high school students has changed a lot. And I think the rules have changed as well. There was a time when I would see a, a freshman in high school committing to a division one program where I'd be like, that's how do they know? So when should a student start the process of, uh, you know, thinking realistically about the recruitment process? Yeah. So the rules have shifted and um, now those commitments are happening junior year. So, that, that's the earliest that they can happen because communication's been limited earlier in the high school um, class years. But we always say, you know, freshman, sophomore year, you guys should be having those conversations. You should be getting on college campuses, seeing what a college campus looks like. I, you know, you're based down in Philly. I always use Philly as an example. You know, go see what Villanova looks like. Go see what Haverford College looks like. Go see what Temple looks like. You're covering a lot of different types of school settings um, in one spot, and your son or daughter is going to start to be able to figure out what's a potential fit or where they could see themselves. So I think uh, you start doing that research freshman, sophomore year. Sophomore year, you're going to start communication out to college coaches. So you've now put together that list of 15 to 20 schools that might be fits. And, you know, you're just letting them know, hey, I'm going to be playing at this event. Here's my grades. Here's some video. Um, 
So you want to you want to start early because at the end of the day, there there is an aspect where it's it's a marketing game where you're just trying to get out in front of those coaches, let them know that you exist, and get that bait out so they can come see you play in person. Um, and that's really like what you're trying to do and position you know your son or daughter um, have that opportunity to play in front of those coaches. Mm-hmm. Well, you're very busy building a company, but uh, you talked about your family a bit. But you know, outside, you know, what do you like to do for fun outside of uh, building a company? Oh man, I'd be way more uh, exciting if you asked me this question uh, two or three years ago. <laughs> I, I have a two and a half year old uh, son. And we have a three month old. So right now, my life uh, revolves around two under three. Um, but yeah, it's you know, you as a parent, you probably understand it's like your life kind of transitions into, you know, trying to figure out the things that your kids are going to love. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, hopefully they correspond to some of the things that you love. So there's a point in time where I skied and snowboarded a ton, played a lot of golf, Mm -hmm. I ran marathons. um, And now, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, can my little guy, you know, start swimming? You know, I, I had a goal this year of, can I get him in the ocean 20 times? Um, and we're close. We'll, we'll have to sneak something in before the end of the year. But, um, yeah, you know, running a, uh, a startup takes a lot of time. Um, you know, my poor wife has to deal with me getting home after commuting into the city and then mm-hmm. get on an 8.30 phone call. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it shifts. So um, a lot of time with the family a lot of sports, you know, even for a two and a half year old, which has been fun. And, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully another year or two, I'll, I'll be able to start running again and playing more golf. I have a 13 and a 15 year old year old at home. And I think this was the first summer where I actually felt like I could sneak away for, you know, five hours to get around. in. so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it does happen eventually, but it took some time, but, uh, perfect. It's only, 15 years from now. I know. I don't know if I should have told you that. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't want to rain on your parade. But uh, well, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background, all the great things you guys are up to at Sports Recruits and uh, the great advice for others to follow. Cool. Thanks so much for having me and have a great weekend. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.